0: Myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hi, welcome to Myth, Magic, Medicine. As you know, I'm Denise and mejia the host, and I am a retired doctor who had to retire precipitously from medicine due to ill health. So I'm really thrilled to be talking today to my guest, Stephanie Pearson, who is likewise a doctor who had to leave clinical medicine and now helps physicians through her work with insurance because none of us are properly, well, not none of us, but most of us are not properly insured. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming here today or on the Zoom Hi. room. Hi, thank you for having me. So what would you like to tell us? What do you think is the, the really major message that all doctors and medical students need to realize?
1: So it is a little bit different for medical students and I'll kind of get there in a second, but I think that it's really important to remember that we all get taught about other insurances, right? We all have health insurance. We all have car insurance. We should have homeowners or renters insurance. Some people get their engagement rings insured, Mm -hmm. but somehow along the way, we either haven't been taught or nobody's told us that we need to protect our ability to make money. Right. And so, you know, I did not know as, as a trainee that disability insurance was a thing. I knew that life insurance was a thing, right. You get it when you have kids and as an aside, women actually should get it before then, but I'll get there too. But you know, if
0: I can just, just stop. One of the things I think this, you know, you, you're sort of on a, um, on a, on a conveyor belt. When you go through med school, you go through residency, and people hand you papers, and you read them, and you check it, and it's 70%, 50% this. Do we know enough about what we already have through our contracts? And do we know enough about insurance prior to signing said contract?
1: Oh, God, no. Um, (laughs) Most physicians will never look at what their employer has Um, It's usually one line on your open enrollment. You check a box and it is what it is. I mean, the overwhelming majority of group benefits are employer paid. So Mm -hmm. you don't have any control over it. You're not involved in creating it. The odds are you're not keeping it, right? Most of them are employment dependent. So Mm -hmm. if you leave your place of work, more often than not, it's not going to go with you. and. To that point, there are three things that we really run into a lot um, where we see that they're inferior. And so it really comes down to taxation, ownership, and language. Mm -hmm. So most of us are not told up front that if your employer's paying for the benefit, any money that you would get from that benefit is actually taxable income. Mm -hmm. And most of them, they're not covering all of your income. It's a portion of your base. And a lot of us get paid in lots of buckets, right? You may have a base, you may have a bonus, you may have an, an additional RVU, you may have a teaching stipend, you may have three to five different places where your money is actually coming and it doesn't in. Cover
0: your overtime,
1: and it doesn't cover that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it's getting taxed, right? So that that's one big issue. The other issue, as I mentioned, is, is ownership, right? They're paying for it. They own it. You don't have anything to say. But the biggest issue has to do with language. And the probably the one of the most important things I say on the regular is that there's no standardization of language in insurance like there is in medicine. You know, we can talk interdisciplinary. We may not remember what we learned in med school all the time, but we at least have an idea of what docs are saying, right? Right with insurance, they can use the same phrasing and define it differently. They can use different phrases and define it similarly. And even the same carrier, if if they have a group benefit and a private benefit, the rules don't necessarily align. And I'm convinced it's on purpose to keep people confused. You mean
0: the kind of rules like, oh, it's a psychiatric condition and so two
1: years that's it, your covered so that, things, those sorts that, of things. That's one, but also mm-hmm. the own occupation piece, right? Everyone mm-hmm. hears, you need an own occupation policy, you need an own occupation policy. Well, a lot of these group benefits say that they're own occupation, but when you actually read the document, which nobody does, or very few people do, you'll find one of a few things. It may be that it's own occupation, but only for two or three years, and then it switches to any occupation, or it may say that it's own occupation, but the, def- the definition is what's called held to the national economy or the local labor market. It is not specific to what one employee does at one employer site. So what that does is allow them to cast this really wide net that says this is what you would, could, should be able to do based on your training, education, and skill set. And we all know that if you put a hundred docs, even in the same specialty, up against a wall, they're not working the same way. They're not doing the same things. You don't wanna be gauged against your neighbor. You wanna be gauged against yourself. But we have this false um, confidence, I guess, when your employer says, oh no, it's a known occupation policy. And it's odd, they don't have to give you the entire document you have to ask the HR department for a master copy of the policy. And it's like pulling teeth. It's not very easily um, shared. Sometimes Mm -hmm. HR will say they don't even know what we're talking about. It's really one of the banes of my existence is getting those documents and getting medical
0: records. Just just a little piece from my story. Um, I had two. I had a private own occupation which I will forever love. Rick Kunkel, if you hear this, if okay. you're still around, he was my first boss. He literally frog marched me to his insurance person to get an own occupation because you're not really going to be covered. But when I was ill and I filed for disability through my through my hospital policy, I had 10 months of them using the wrong carrier because the positions were with a different firm. So I had 10 months, 10 months of legal fees, fighting for something. And the insurance company was just saying, we don't have to pay you for this, this, and this. No, we don't have to pay you because you're not insured with us, which would, you think, be the easy answer.
1: Well, that's like my story. And then I almost
0: threw away, I got a letter from the company that I was insured with saying, are you planning on taking long-term, you're claiming your long-term disability? I almost threw it away. I thought it was yet one more insurance company sending me a, a you know, I had never, I knew their name, but I didn't know they were associated with me. But to a, it's a ridiculous situation. You've got to know so much more that you just assume that people have your back and they don't.
1: Right. And, you know, my group benefit in fine print didn't cover work-related injuries mm-hmm. and I got kicked doing a delivery. And so I was flatly denied and told I would have been better off had I fallen off my bike. So, you know, I didn't know that. I never asked for the document. I didn't know what I didn't know, which is, I think, the biggest piece for most of us, right? And the companies have gotten really creative, especially since COVID. We're seeing a lot of policies that are not covering work-related injuries or illnesses, which I think is a super slippery slope. I don't know how we're supposed to prove where we've contracted an illness from, well, especially um, something
0: like COVID, which you have right. been,
1: it was, there right. are so many
0: places
2: to get it, right. including work.
1: Right. So. They're, they're building in limitations. Most group benefits will only cover mental health or substance abuse problems for 24 months. Mm-hmm. There's a whole new grouping that they call subjective illnesses, which basically, if you think about things that don't necessarily have a pathognomonic test, So, and they, and they're very good about legalese, right? So it's including, but not limited to, Mm -hmm. and it's things like pain, headaches, um, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, um, ringing in the ears, like things that we know as physicians exist, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: if you can't have a test that specifically shows it, they're only going to cover you for two years. And most concerning this year I've started to see some group benefits that are limiting musculoskeletal issues for two years. And that happens to be the number one reason that physicians go out. And so it's even that much more important that people have.
0: Especially in the surgical specialties.
1: But all of them. I mean, it's just, you know, we don't sleep well. We we don't treat our bodies well. We're bent over computers. We're bent over phones, right? I mean, as a society, uh-huh. we're not good in the musculoskeletal phase, but specifically for physicians, it is the number one reason that docs go out.
2: Uh-huh. And now
1: the companies are getting smart to it, right? And they're putting those limitations in these group benefits. And your employer doesn't have to tell you this stuff. Literally, it's one line on your open enrollment packet, yeah. and you check a box. So since since we all know, like this,
0: not... Not working in our favor this way, and, and disability is a possibility. I think when I see those those questions on the on the chat boards with doctors saying, "Do I, do I need disability?" and I scream and shake my computer, some of that I think is is sort of that it's, it's not going to happen to me, you know. So <laughs> from whom can they get real information? Because I, I know brokers are probably supposed to be fiduciary, but is is are they going to get it from the horse's mouth? Do people come to somebody like you? Would you look at somebody's contract and evaluate what it says?
1: So there's a couple of things baked in that question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can speak anecdotally about other people okay. um, and then I can speak personally. Right. So my the person who sold me my policy in 2005 did not properly educate me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm lucky that I had it. I didn't have to sell my house. Um, I didn't have to pull my kids out of school and yes, in theory, agents and brokers should be fiduciary. However, um, not all appear to be, <laughs> um, I, and you know, I definitely have had my share of audits where, It's like I'm telling somebody something for the first time and they swore they had what they needed and then I Mm -hmm. pick holes through it. Um, I can speak for our company um, that we truly lead with education. Um, We have gotten rid of the commission payment system. Mm -hmm. All of our brokers are salaried and, and that was a purposeful, intentional move that we made as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, I don't even know what our commissions are. I let our CFO deal with that. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want somebody to say that any one of our brokers is being guided by the sale. Um, If our company does well, everybody does well. We also have a lot of ancillary help here. Um, I want to be able to educate as many people as possible. And so, you know, our brokers, I've trained them all. Um, And without sounding trait, like it's all about leading with education. It's here's the differences, here's what you need, here's what's important, you know, and what's good for you may not be what's good for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. the pool is not that big. Right now, there are six companies That are referred to as the traditional disability carriers that offer specialty specific coverage for physicians. Mm -hmm. Um, But it changes all the time. Um, And they each have their own little nuances to make them unique. And some things are important to one person, not the other person, right? They don't all offer full mental health coverage. Well, if that's something that's really important to you, then that's going to guide who we recommend. And by the way, not every physician can even get it. Um, Mm -hmm. anesthesia, pain, emergency medicine, the companies don't want to cover them. They're in the middle of the Venn diagram that is mental health and substance abuse. So for them, two years, two years per episode is really the best we can do. There's one company in California, but they're exorbitantly expensive and it's only in California. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so You know, some companies have a cobra benefit. Well, one company right now, other companies don't. One company has a family care benefit, the other ones don't, right? So it's it's really piecing together what are your needs, what are your family's needs? How do we structure this to make the most sense for you? And these companies, they vary by state, they vary by what kind of doctor you are, like. It is so nuanced. It is not a one size fits all, and any you, stretch.
0: You want to be able to take this with you wherever you go. Of course. I mean, that's and, one of the, the. Are the rules going to change if if I buy if I bought a policy in Pennsylvania and move to Maryland or California? Will the rules change?
1: Once you purchase your policy, that's your policy. So it's what's called automatically renewable and non-cancelable. So you've gone through the medical underwriting, they've made you an offer, you're paying your premiums, that policy is going to stay with you for your career. Um, It's also part of the reason, you know, if I'm talking to trainees and I know that they're planning on moving, that may also dictate when I tell them the best time to get it is because there are state differences. Like if I'm talking to somebody in Pennsylvania, who's planning to move to California, I'm going to say, look, you, you want to get this while you're still in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. because if you wait until you're in California, then we're looking at California policies and they're just not Mm -hmm. as good, right? Or they're more expensive or there's different, again, we go back to all the different nuances. And so, you know, the short answer to that is once you buy a policy, that's your policy. Okay. Good.
0: So you don't have to go through this too often, except when you get that letter saying, would <laughs> you like to increase your coverage?
1: <laughs> but that, but, but when you want to increase your coverage, presuming that when you went through the first time, you were given that ability to get mm-hmm. more later without underwriting, there's no medical information. It's just financial underwriting. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you know, there's exceptions to every rule and there are certain medical issues or timing of things where when you're going through underwriting that first time that a company may say to you, look, we're willing to cover you now for this amount. However, because of the following, we want to withhold the right to make you go through medical underwriting again. It's not a given that that that's the case. And that's also part of why we do what we do here is I don't like surprises, and we do a lot of what I like to consider field underwriting mm-hmm. to help manage realistic expectations, right? An agent or broker can really tell you anything they want, you know, because there's, there's nothing that says they can't, right? Mm-hmm. For us, it's really helping to manage that expectation. If I know something in your medical history that's going to be an issue, I want you to know that before you start the process. Mm -hmm. I also don't want to set people up for failure, right? If I know that something in your history makes you, what I say, traditionally uninsurable, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to waste your energy. And there is a plan B. Mm -hmm. Um, There are three companies that are known as the non-traditional carriers that insure the hard to insure. Now it's a different model. There's, it's a complete different system, but there is another option. And so, you know, there's a lot to be said for not wasting people's time. And Mm -hmm. we also get those phone calls. You know, I got declined through another agent or broker and why didn't they know? Um, I don't know. I didn't do your initial intake, Mm -hmm. but looking at what I know now. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like yeah. you know, you you would have seen it coming. Yeah, yeah.
0: Is there? It sounds silly, because yes, it's got to be yes. Um, do you <laughs> do you deal with women who have yet to have children, <laughs> women who have had children, or people who are unlikely to have a children because they're male? It, 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 oh, generally God. speaking, men yeah. are probably more insurable, but they also have a tendency to jump out of planes and things more often than women.
1: So the short answer is yes, as you anticipated, um, it does change some of my recommendations, um, in my humble opinion, all women should get their coverage before the first time they try to get pregnant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they, first of all, let me take a step back. Disability insurance is more expensive for women than it is for men, um, It's not as sexist as it appears. It is based in real actuarial claims data. Women Mm -hmm. tend to leave all fields more than men because of injury or illness. Mm -hmm. The flip side is life insurance is more expensive for men because historically they die younger and more successfully they're on hands. As far as the pregnancy stuff goes, the carriers look for any reason not to cover pregnancy-related issues. And we know that women going into medicine tend to delay. Uh, oh my God, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, delay baby making, right? Because of education and training, there have been increased, you know, risks of infertility and miscarriage, and the companies will just latch onto stuff. You know, I had a C-section. I make breech babies. When I first started doing this, anyone who had a c section they would not cover future pregnancies, and I went nuts. You know, here I am, I'm an OV by training, and I'm like, This is not an abnormal outcome of pregnancy. Like, yeah. no one in the United States wants a woman to walk and, in and with you a wage kid. I mean,
0: the majority and, of people who have cesareans don't need long term disability, correct? Not <laughs> might need now, an extra
1: month or two, but you know, now. Pregnancy-related complications do account for about six to eight percent of claims every year. Mm-hmm. But me having a C-section because I had a breech baby. Okay, well maybe if I have to have another section, I have inherent risks of surgery, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact that I had a section for a breech baby isn't changing my risk for a cardiomyopathy or a postpartum you know, subarachnoid bleed or all the bad things that we That's know that right. can happen. And I started fighting with the underwriters and sending them ACOG bulletins and white papers and, you know, hospitals won't, a lot of hospitals won't let breeches deliver vaginally or twins or multiples deliver vaginally. And, you know, this just doesn't make sense. And admittedly, community medicine and insurance medicine are not the same but this one topic I was like this is ridiculous and I will say that over the last five years at one point we had all six companies willing to look at the reason that people had sections and they may exclude complications of a future c-section but they didn't put the blanket we're not covering pregnancy we have had one of the six at the beginning of this year revert back to that language well Okay, I don't tell people that have had a section to get that company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you've had a miscarriage in the last 12 months, most of the carriers will put a pregnancy exclusion for the first year of the policy. Well, look, we spend most of our lives trying not to get pregnant. And then when Mm -hmm. we want to get pregnant, we want to be pregnant yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tell a woman that she's got to wait a year, right? If they're pregnant, okay, this pregnancy is not going to get covered, but if you have a happy, healthy pregnancy delivery and postpartum course, I may be able to get your next pregnancy covered.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and
1: that's another piece of just advocating and making sure that we're staying on top of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If, if infertility is anywhere on your medical records, most of the carriers aren't covering infertility or pregnancy. We yeah. have one company now that will limit to infertility treatments. So in the event that you have a spontaneous pregnancy, which we see all the time in OB, you see somebody that needed IVF for their first pregnancy, and then they get spontaneously pregnant with their next one because they've been primed. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to get one company to agree to that. You know, So it, it also goes back to the, where the right recommendation is put because of that knowledge, right? But if there's one thing that I really like, the biggest PSA I have is that all women should have their policies put in place before they try to get pregnant all right. because they're just looking for reasons not to cover.
2: Difficult subject, but how many of you are
0: there? I realize the answer obviously is one, but are there very many people who are in your line of work, who have your kind of background? Are there a lot of doctors? Obviously,
1: there aren't going to be that I many of these,
0: but have you met I mean, a lot of people in medicine who've moved into this work?
1: Uh, no, but I don't know is, is mm-hmm. really the fair answer to that. Um, there are some other good guys out there um, mm-hmm. that I've crossed paths with, that I've partnered with, that I've worked with. Um, so I, I don't know broadly because it's not...
2: I don't would know. It's like data. not readily like
1: out <laughs> yes. there, you know, um, I can say in, in our practice, I do have, we do have another disabled physician on staff. Um, and, um, you know, and, and so he's like me, okay. um, you know, but, um, I, I don't, I don't know if I've, I, I heard through the grapevine that there was another disabled doc out there, but I haven't, paths yet, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, one of my kind of real long-term goals was to try to employ more disabled physicians to give them a new passion, to give them a new lease, to, you know, find something else to do, and, and I would love to see physicians taking care of physicians, um, but that, that's kind of a loftier, uh, Mm-hmm. goal, I guess. And, and again, it's like everything else, right? If you're not really passionate about it, you shouldn't be doing it anyway. So, yeah,
2: sure. yeah. you
1: know, I, I'm, I would only want somebody to do it who really felt as passionately as, as I do about it. Um, because it's hard. I mean, it, it's not, you know, there were times where I've had a couple of folks reach out to me, you know, is this something I could do part-time or as a side gig or mm-hmm. it, the answer is no, you know, that this is, I'm working just as hard, if not harder. It's just different. You know, this and, is a and full-time... you work on
0: helping people navigate the system when right. they so, need
1: to activate the system. Well, both. I mean, yeah. we. I, I've become a true broker. So, I mean, I am like Switzerland. I'm not in bed with any carrier. So we, you know, we sell the policies um, and we educate. I do a lot of lectures. That's kind of my like happy place. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, we now have six producers and so we're talking to people every day and and educating them about the policies. And then on the flip side, what I feel really strongly about is the help when they need it. You know, when I was going out on claim, the guy who sold me my policy was really not available and Mm -hmm. kind of hid behind HIPAA and, it's not the case. Like I can actually help people,
2: you you know, (laughs) I can help
1: people get all all, one company. I can't, but most of the companies I can help get the claims packets and I can give you my story, right. Of here's what you need to do. And here's how you need to think. And Mm -hmm. hopefully you won't need a lawyer, but if you do, I have one of those too, you know, um, and I check up on people you know, periodically who have gone out on clean, which was, again, something that wasn't done for me. So, you know, I get very maternal about our clients. And when something happens, you know, I want to know what's going on. Do you need help with anything? How are you feeling? How are you doing? You know, what else can I do to help?
0: Part of the issue, of course, is when you are ill, even if it is something very clear cut, It's still the emotional side of it, especially uh, I suddenly cannot practice the thing I have spent my almost entire life working towards. You just dealing with the paperwork is, and the phone calls and appointments, there's just too much going on.
1: Right. And on top of that, we lose our identity, right? I mean, I have no problem talking about it. I was in a really dark place. I wrote my husband and kids suicide letters. I Mm -hmm. thought that I would be better off to them dead than alive. Um, it took extensive therapy and pharmacology, um, to get me out of my hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think that there's a tyranny of perfection that exists in medicine, right? We're supposed to be better than stronger than we're resilient than whatever. And I didn't realize how much of my identity was tied up in being Dr. Pearson. And yeah. all of a sudden I wasn't you know, and, and people will say, oh, they can never take those letters away from you. Once you're a doctor, you're always a doctor, but physicians were some of the meanest people to me when I got hurt and I didn't feel super supported and I didn't quite fit in with the stay at home mom crowd. And I didn't quite Mm -hmm. fit in with the working moms anymore because now I wasn't working in the beginning and to couple that with all the other stuff, right. Whether it's an injury or an illness and different home health care needs and different mental needs. And it was exhausting, you know, Mm -hmm. and and having somebody, had I had somebody to hold my hand through that process, I think would have made a big difference. And so now I'm trying to be that person and, you know, and, and look, it's not all all altruistic. I mean, it's filling a void for me, right? Like, I still get to feel like I'm helping people. I still get to feel like I'm educated, because you educating are. people. Yeah. You know, I get to feel like I'm still part of the medical community, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm really trying to change an industry that I think historically has really preyed upon us, mm-hmm. right? We're we're, we're a really easy prey, right? Um, I do think in the last five to 10 years, there's been a big push for financial literacy and physicians, but it's still not nearly where it should be. And, Uh, and a lot of us get preyed upon and we're really trying to change that. And so it it really does get to fill a a bunch of buckets for me. Um, And I feel like as long as I feel that way, I'll keep doing it, (laughs) Um, you know? um, Well, thankfully
0: my, my, uh, my first real boss, when I went out of training frog-marched me and I got my insurance and I had at least didn't lose my house but I was surprised to realize that everything was going to stop at 65 even though social security wouldn't kick in until I was 66. Those, those little surprises were I mean it wasn't devastating right. because also my kids were also through college I, this happened right. to me uh, my eldest was a junior in, in uh, high school so that was like, one, am I going to die? Two, what am I going to do with my, you know, how, how are my kids' lives going to be impacted by this? So.
1: Right. And it's all about knowledge, right? You mm-hmm. know, admittedly, we run most of our illustrations to 65 because, mm-hmm. look, most people don't want to be working past that point. And the hope is that people are either financially independent before then and can cancel the policies, or if something happens, like did to you and me, Mm -hmm. that you have the time to figure out your financial house, right? right? And if we're talking about something that, look, nobody wants to have to use it. Nobody wants to have to buy it, Mm
2: -hmm. but it's
1: really life-saving having it. I mean, look, we're both kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Like we both see it. We're living billboards for the importance of this. And I've seen the other side. You know, I've seen physicians who have had to sell their houses, who have had to go on food stamps, whose okay. spouses have left them because, you know, they didn't sign up for this. And mm-hmm. it's devastating. And, you know, it becomes kind of a necessary evil. And, you know, as long as you know what you're getting, right? Like, had you known, like you're saying it was a surprise to you that it went to 65, Yeah, I, right? Yeah. I- But had you been properly educated, you would have known that, right? right? You would have walked in knowing that. Like one of my policies has what's called a transitional occupation language, which I don't remember getting taught about. Maybe I did. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what it does is adds a freeze to the gold standard. So what you want your policy to say is that you're considered totally disabled in the event that you can't do your job, regardless mm-hmm. if you're gainfully employed in another occupation. Well, what the transitional language adds is until you make your pre-disability earnings. Yeah. Now, I can make an argument, right, for somebody who's more experienced and making decent money that that language is okay. But I bought that when I was a first year attending. Yep. If something had happened to me that year, I wouldn't still be on claim right now, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not taking into account your future earning potential. You know, I can say now I was ten years into my career. If I can make doing insurance what I made the year I got hurt, mm-hmm. do I really need it? No.
0: With but my with my uh, own occupation thankfully didn't get taxed because it was post-tax dollars um, but that one did not increase at all there were no colas involved it was based on you know by the time I finished claim which was 16 years I think I was on disability before put, kicked in. that was a significantly different you know that probably would have doubled what I was making then by, by that time just because of, of the cost of living
1: and and prices rise over that period of time. Well, so cost of living adjustment rider is a little bit different than what you're saying right now. I just want to make sure that, that listeners are, are mm-hmm. clear on this one. So the cost of living adjustment on the rider actually doesn't kick in until you go on claim. So that only gets activated when you're on claim. The ability to keep pace with your income is oh, that yes. pool of money that goes by lots of different names that we can keep pace with our incomes based on financial underwriting. So one of my, my yeah. policy, I didn't take advantage of that increase. And I'm wondering if that's Yeah. I didn't take advantage
0: about. of that. I did get those letters period. I took, I took one and then right. the next time around, I didn't. Right, um, which, but, but that's fine. That's on me,
1: <laughs> but, it but not it. really like, so, and I'll disagree with you there. Like, okay. I think that it's the agent and the broker's responsibility to touch base with people. Yes. And, you know, back in the day, you and I are a little bit older, you know, I guess they're saying, oh, well, we sent you a letter in the mail, but how many people throw out mail, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, snail mail is not the way to get somebody's attention. Um, and so, you know, we're really big on making sure that we send emails out Mm -hmm. on top of the letters that you get from, because the letters aren't coming to you from your producer. The letters are coming from the company. Right. And so I threw away the same mail that you threw away, which is why I'm, I was in the words are hard, which (laughs) is why I ended up underinsured when I actually got hurt because I just didn't know what I didn't know. So I Mm -hmm. didn't, take advantage of it. And I thought I was covered by my group benefit, which I've already explained I didn't, you know, and so it's, there are a lot of moving pieces. And when we're busy doing our jobs and taking care of our families and our spouses and all the other things that are with all the other experiences
0: that you have to have in
1: life, (laughs) there need to be checks and balances for this stuff. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's really important.
0: Do you think there needs to be legislative change? Or do you think that individual companies can be shamed into doing this?
1: I get nervous when anything's legislated because nobody should be forced, in my opinion, mm-hmm. nobody should be forced, right, to do it. The right thing. Um, and and so I would stop short of, of legislation personally, but I think that it should be part of education, Um So
0: if more physicians were educated on this, they would be demanding these things from the insurer, and that would have to move the market. Okay. Yes.
1: You know, um, and I do want to mention because I said this in the very beginning about med students, um, the right time for med students is actually after they match, um, because Mm -hmm. part of the pricing of the policy is based on what you do, and because med students haven't committed, they actually get really high pricing because they go with the, the most risky. Okay. Let's
0: let's say I just matched into family medicine, famously not well compensated, but after a year of that, I decide I want to go into neurosurgery OB. One of the things that's better compensated. Does that change things?
1: If you get your policy as a family practitioner, Mm -hmm. that's your policy. So again, remember that goes back to that automatically renewable and non-cancelable. And the definition actually does grow up with you. Um, I tend to tell folks in internal medicine, in general surgery, right? Residencies, get your policies while you're in your residency before you fellow, Mm -hmm. because sometimes the fellowship will change the occupational class, but for med students, if they haven't matched, they all get the most expensive policy. Um, and so I tend not to tell medical, re- medical students to do it until they match, unless they're a woman who wants to have a baby. That's kind of the one exception. And then we can always, um, if things go well in the pregnancy, we can always reapply later but just so that there's some coverage during that pregnancy and god forbid something does go wrong mm-hmm. that future pregnancies are covered um there's also it's a very low max for medical students which kind of makes sense right they're not making mm-hmm. money and if you think about disability insurance by definition is income replacement protection
2: mm-hmm.
1: they're paying <laughs> at that point they're not yeah, being negative. paid So I also don't necessarily think it's a good use of their money at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look at Vegas odds, right, they're way less likely to become disabled while they're in med school. It happens. It happens. But again, the max coverage for med students is pretty low. So while it's something and something's better than nothing, they're not going to be able to live on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We're getting close to time. Is there any other pearl you need people to know
1: oh other than gosh.
0: how to find you? Because that uh, will be in the show notes. You can tell oh them that too, but there'll be um,
1: <laughs> God, pearls. Don't wait.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't wait unless, uh, unless Stephanie tells you to wait. You
1: know, don't wait. Um, yeah. I mean, I just think it's trust your gut, like everything else, you know, there are other good guys out there, but obviously happy to help whomever is listening. Um, I am incredibly accessible now. I think I'm probably more accessible now than even when I was practicing, Mm
2: -hmm. but,
1: um, you know, our website is pearsonrabbits.com and, and I'll let you spell it out in the
2: -hmm. the
1: show notes. Um, our phone number is 610-658-3251. Um, I'm on Facebook, with my real name. I was not savvy enough to have a pseudonym way back when. (laughs) Um, And then for your listeners who similarly to us um, have become disabled, I do have a secret Facebook group called Physicians for Physicians, which is just for physicians who because of injury or illness have had to change their scope of practice or leave medicine Um, you can reach out to me personally. I do ask a couple of questions because I want to vet it and make sure it's a safe place.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and then I can add people. Um, it's been an incredibly supportive community. We have men, we have women. Um, I have let in a veterinarian, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, just again, going back to that, it's really hard when it's happening and it's nice to have a support group, Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how many of your listeners that encompasses, but since both of us are living that uh, life right now, I want to make sure that folks know about it.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been very nice getting to know
1: you a little bit. And we're, we're you. so close. You're I across know. across the border from me. Yes, <laughs> ma'am. Well, if you're in town, let me know and I'll let you know the next time we're in Delaware.
0: Okay, Thank you very much indeed.
1: Have a great day. Thanks Thank for having you. me
0: you for joining us at myth magic medicine if you have found this episode useful you can apply for free cme credit through the link provided in the transcript if you're not a medical professional please remember while we're physicians we're not your physicians so please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one until next time bye bye